We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Leibovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. Growing up, I was vegan and straight edge when I was like 14. So uh, my grandma was like, I don't know what this tofu bullshit is, but if you want to cook and eat food, I won't do it. You can do it if you want to. Thank God tofu costs a dollar at the store. So I had to teach myself how to cook vegan cuisine, and that was my first kind of foray into experimenting with food. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Today on the show, I'm catching up with Jason Stewart, a.k.a. Them Jeans, co-host of one of my favorite podcasts around, How Long Gone. On the episode, we talk about Jason's life growing up in Southern California, the food, the vegan lifestyle. We also talk about some of the things he likes about food in Los Angeles, New York, and cities around the world. We also talk about Italy and food in Italy and maybe his highly suspicious take on food in Italy. This is really a fun episode. I love Jason. I love his work. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. Jason Stewart, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Hi, Matt. How are you? It's great to see you. This is your seventh podcast of the week, or you're going to be doing seven this week, right? This will, no, yeah, I have I have two more. So I'm recording one of my own tomorrow, and then I'll be editing it all day in a hotel room yeah. in the Lower East Side. Oh, nice, nice neighborhood. Nice, nice neighborhood. bistros there. Great bistro town. Yeah. And then uh, on Friday, I'll be doing a show at the Williamsburg Music Hall of Music. Music Hall of Williamsburg. Music Hall of Williamsburg, yeah. yeah. I saw uh, Art Brute there. Wow. And we also... <laughs> I saw a lot of bands there. I don't I haven't know heard what, that name in years, Matthew. It's funny that I, I it's like I've seen one show and it was Art Brute. We did a show there for this old website I used to be an editor for called Metro Mix. Super awesome name. Oh, that sounds vaguely familiar. LA had one. Scott Sterling was the editor of LA. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know Scott. Um, we, I, you're a music guy, so let's. We were talking about music hall. It's topical. Our launch party was this. <laughs> we had the Rapture DJ. To an empty room, we paid them twenty five grand. <laughs> <laughs> we being the Tribune Company, not me. Um, oh performing God. was White Williams. Do you know White Williams? Do you remember that name? Not really. He, was, he had one album. He's really. I know a lot of White Williamses <laughs> in, just in my normal life, but no, I don't know who White Williams is. White Williams had like one album. It was it was chill, and then we had Santo Gold. In that era, perform like like do the f- main show uh-huh. with Diplo like there hanging out, and this is crazy. Three hundred dollars we paid a young comedian named John Mulaney oh, to be really? the DJ, be the host. This sounds like quite a great <laughs> event for the year twenty twenty two, but maybe at the time you, you shot your load too early yeah, on that we, one. We were a little early. It was also an ice storm, and it was a free event. And no one showed up. Jesus. So if you paid yeah. if you paid the Rapture twenty five grand to, de- <laughs> to be the DJ, how much did you pay Santo Gold? I think Santo got like thirty, and then God damn it. And then it we're was, in the wrong business. It was, Matt. Well, this was like two thousand and uh, I'm gonna say eight. Yeah, two thousand eight ish. Yeah. Adjust for inflation. <laughs> Rapture's getting what 40? 41k? forty k for Golly. an empty room. It was like the one guy from the Rapture too. Um, wow. So, Jason, I want to open about, I want to send you just a straight apology. So, we shared a meal last fall in New York. <laughs> I, I was like, we should go have breakfast. I, I love Holland Gone. I'm a huge fan, and, and I've been on your show. Um, and I just want to get to know you and just, like, build whatever and, and maybe talk about some writing. And we'll get into that in this episode about mm-hmm. some of the writing you do. I took you to Veselka. It was not good. But my biggest crime and their biggest crime was you ordered a bagel. Maybe not the best order, but that's your prerogative. They gave you one. <laughs> that's my prerogative. <laughs> We're having fun today. Well, there you go. That's why you get the big bucks here, Jason. Yeah. But, like, they gave you the single-serve 
Philly cream cheese. The Philly cream cheese in the little plastic in cup. the single serve. Ice cold, rock hard. <laughs> My apologies. And then 10 minutes later, I was able to flag the server down and get another second <laughs> ice cold, rock hard cream cheese for the other side that had now Snapping. sort of began growing mold at that point. Yeah, right. Snapping fingers. Bad, it was a bad order, but I don't, I'm not a big breakfast you guy like, in yeah. the morning. You know, cup of black coffee, yeah. squeeze of OJ, and I'm out the door. Yeah. So, you know, cheese blintzes and pierogies and all that stuff. It, <laughs> it doesn't, was, unless I'm massively hungover. It's like you have to be really needing it for the padding. I mean, but I feel LA is a breakfast town. I feel like you, you, because you like eat dinner at six. So you got to eat <laughs> breakfast. Right? Well, New York eats dinner at six now, too. Oh, yeah. I heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you live upstate. So you eat yeah. dinner at what, 4 30? I do. I actually, uh, That's what yeah. I, thought. I actually, yeah, because I, I definitely have farming to do at five. So I got to, I got to <laughs> hit the hay by 7 45. You, you have to tend to the, to the carrots. But, yeah. Yeah, L.A. Is, is a great breakfast town. You know, breakfast burritos were yeah. not invented there, but perfected. Yeah. Smoothies, acai bowls with mm. horizontally sliced bananas mm. and, uh, like, chia seed pudding that and cut. all that stuff. Love that making a little smile with that cut is the best thing. Um, <laughs> are you Team Squirrel? I don't remember. Are you, do you like Squirrel? That's a good breakfast. I do like Squirrel, yeah. yeah. You know, they had a couple rough years, didn't they? Moldy years. <laughs> we'll call them the moldy years. But I think they, they seem to bounce back all right, you know. Um, I, I always liked Squirrel, and it was sort of, you know, it was just too busy all the time. So, like, yeah. I would, I'm, I'm friends with Jessica, yeah. and, like, I used to be able to text her and be like, yeah, I'm coming through, can you, and, like, snag me a table. And then now at this point, it's just kind of like, yeah, not really. Not really. But, uh, but it's calmed down thanks to COVID and all that, so yeah. you can get a table without having to wait four hours. If you want to wait four hours, go to Courage Bagel across the yeah, street. Yeah, I don't like standing in line for a bagel. That seems insane to me. But the bagel is damn good, but a bagel can only be so good. I bet, exactly. Um, What do we New Yorkers get wrong about L.A.? I have to ask you this. What do we, like, just absolutely miss when when we're trying to, like, talk about L.A. and explain to everyone about L.A. us as we New Yorkers do? Uh, I I think that L.A. and New York, they really are just a yin and the yang, and it's inherent inside of every New Yorker to hate LA and that's sort of what I like about it like I like being an underdog and having to climb out of a hole and show you my LA there's so many terrible parts of LA just like every city in the world and there's so many amazing parts and it really does take a long time to to settle in in New York it's so easy to arrive in the city and live as a New Yorker you just walk out the door and you're a New Yorker Mm -hmm. but in LA it requires a lot of planning and car rentals and circumnavigating neighborhoods mm-hmm. and you know like my my girlfriend was had was working this morning and she's like yeah, I'm just going to work it's uh it's an hour and a half drive and it's 12 miles you know yeah so that part really really sucks but you know LA is um it's where all the it's where all the produce of America tipped <laughs> over and like they say Florida that's where like yeah America tipped over and all the bad stuff mm-hmm. went there all the great stone fruit and mm. citrus and vegetables went to California. Yeah, good good call. Uh, good good history there. Like United States of Arugula style, like that farming <laughs> history States of America, of like Jason. Uh, let's, uh, what about restaurants, though? I feel we, as New Yorkers, want to go to the, like, three or four restaurants and we don't quite make it out to SGV or make it to mm-hmm. Koreatown. Um, I guess my question is, is where should we be going? I, it's a broad question, but I, I always want to no. Well, I th- I think Korea. I mean, th- that's the other issue is like when you're in LA, there there are so many zones with so many different things, and I think that going to Koreatown is not really that out of the way. It is literally like centrally located mm-hmm. in the greater Los Angeles area. San Gabriel Valley is a bit of a tough drive mm-hmm. depending on where you're at, but you know if if you go to LA for a week and you're in one certain pocket, there are enough restaurants too. You can go to a, a unique, cool spot every single day. Unless you're in like West Hollywood or something, mm-hmm. then then just it's a food desert. But but my advice is like when you go to LA, just try to be like an LA person and just do normal stuff. Yeah, and don't try to chase every hot restaurant, every infatuation. You know, I don't like to do that in any city, but you're just gonna be let down. Yeah, it's like 
when you have that one good New Year's Eve party and you spend the rest of your life trying to chase Chasing it. Chasing it like, like heroin. It never um, works out. Never works out. Now, mo- speaking of hot restaurants, Mother Wolf, um, to me, from afar is annoying. Um, I Evan Funky <laughs> seems like a nice gentleman. Um, does but, he? Uh, <laughs> That's the last thing he's... Uh, he uh, is nice, but he <laughs> does not seem nice no, at all. No, it's true. Uh, I'm just being, he has uh, the scowl of a Jason, of I was just wrestler. being polite. Um, so, <laughs> is... It just, I don't know. I, I'm like, when, when you start hearing about, like, deals being done at restaurants and, like, out of, out of food context, I, I'm not, like, hating on any restaurants, but is it good? Because you've, you've, you've had meals there. You've talked about how long gone. Yeah. Um, you've talked about being price gouged on wine. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like, but is it good? Like, what, what's your what's so the fair? So I, th- I think it's I think the food there is definitely good. I mean, I I sort of sympathize for restaurants that just get white hot, and then yeah. you're sort of left to try and manage, you know, all these spinning plates, and it's yeah. never going to be good. Like the the curse of getting you know Bon Appetit best restaurant or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Like you wake up the next day and. Your life is so blessed and amazing. It's like when you win the lottery, like documentaries about people who win the lottery, and it's like it was so awesome. And now I like died in like an alligator farm <laughs> three months later or something. It's just it's so hard. Um, but the food there is quite good. Yeah, I think the um, for me, if you stick to the stuff that he perfected at Felix, just the tried and true basics, the the stuffed squash blossoms, you know, just a margarita pizza, alla matriciana pasta, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, just the very kind of rudimentary traditional basics. That's where he shines because his technique is is definitely good, especially for L.A. Um, but, you know, some of the other stuff, you know, take it or leave it perhaps. But it's a problem because it's such a busy restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, weeks, months in advance to make a reservation, Hollywood power players and celebrities getting pushed to the front of the line. So if you're not a celebrity or a, a millionaire, you know, baller bro, it's you're going to make your 40th birthday party or your 10th anniversary dinner party or whatever it is, you know, your dad's retirement dinner yeah. at this amazing special restaurant and you're going to have to eat there at 5:15 yeah. and the appetizers and salads and pizzas are going all going to get dropped. They're not even going to ask if you want dessert because they have to turn these tables because there's just Tens of thousands of people waiting. And there just isn't, so there isn't that VIP treatment or that, that even like. There is VIP treatment as long as you're a VIP. You are those guys. You have to be truly a VIP. And I'm only complaining and I'm being a little too harsh because I thought I was a VIP (laughs) and then I realized I was not a VIP. It's nice to get that like check when you go to a hot restaurant because I I think, I think, you know, Resi, they like tag, like we're like tagged, whatever. And if you book with Resi, there's like. If you look on the board, there's like a little star or some shit, which is cool. Like, I mean, oh. straight like respect Resi. Like, I like yeah, you know, like a blue check. We are gonna have to start. We get the for blue, that Resi blue check. We're gonna have we? to get the Resi blue. But check. I sympathize. Nine ninety nine a month. <laughs> is that is that is that too low or do we need to go higher? We're we're focus grouping it right now. We'll see. But I, I honestly I sympathize for Evan because I think for a, a pasta yeah. maker in L A, he you know he's the best. Like yeah. if you get there's so many little things that can go wrong when you're making a pasta or a pizza that has three ingredients in yeah. it. Yeah. And, you know, even if you get it right 80, 75% of the time, that's a really good average. And when he does get it right, you're like, this is, nobody can do it better than yeah. in L.A. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to check it out it's for just myself. Good. Now, uh, your brother uh, works or worked uh, in front of house and restaurant industry. Um, mm-hmm. What have you learned from him in his, because you are plugged in and tapped into the restaurant world. If you listen to your show and you're right and read your writing. Uh, I learned that, well, we, we did a food podcast together as well, and I, that was when I really learned in real time what uh, a lot about, like, the, because at the time I was, like, Instagram chef bro, kind of, like, judging from afar, talking yeah. shit about all the restaurants, making my dumb little home That was your meal. cohort, Instagram bro chef guy, right? Mo- yeah, yeah, more or less. Yeah, yeah. And he was, so basically I, I learned that, like, oh, like, people that work in the industry think that I'm a douchebag. And I make fun of them, so they really think I'm a douchebag or whatever. Whatever it is, like, I learned that uh, they didn't, you know, they don't respect people looking in on the outside and judging their world. Um, and it is a, it's a crazy intense world. And I have worked in some kitchens, just like staging a little bit here and there, and and learning some stuff like that more just for fun, not for any other reason. Jason, I'm just realizing, like, I don't know why I forgot. I have the stew on my, like, I have that in my feed. Mm. Chef Miles Thompson, August 15th, 2018. 
<laughs> like I, I like I'm like I don't, I've totally blocked out that you had a food podcast. So yeah, yeah I have yeah. it in my phone. Twenty. Are you bringing back the stew? Uh, I am not bringing back the <laughs> stew. People ask me all the time you, to bring yeah. it back. It's, it was good. It was cool because it was a. It was like the one food podcast where we would you know speak honestly and openly about stuff. And I'm sure that's a, a topic that we'll hit later on your notes. But yeah, that uh, it was it was really cool because people who work in kitchens, work in the restaurant industry, will still come up to me and be like, "Hey, man, I, I really liked your podcast. You guys were funny," and you know. Well, I uh, let's let's go there. Actually, it's a good segue because I, I do um, liked I liked that show because it did have some real talk, and you did talk to industry members about some of the struggles. And then on How Long Gone, you've had many guests from the food world, and I think you've mm-hmm. marinated on the topic of food media, like the idea like food media maybe is a little too polite and mm-hmm. and maybe is a little bit too cautious. Um, do you agree with that? Am I assessing your your take? Yeah, I mean, more or less. I just, I wish, I wish that people would be a little more honest or opinionated or critical about things in the public space. But I understand how the reasons why it is such a a polite industry. I mean, obviously, you know, the power players and all the people that work at the big magazines and websites and everything like that, they all know each other. And, you know, it's it's just rude and impolite to... Mm -hmm potentially trash somebody that you are associated with you know professionally or, or in a friendship so that so that part kind of sucks and the, the the days of anonymous you know restaurant review writing are not really too popping nowadays i agree i've i've talked about the idea of the negative restaurant review recently david tamarkin um who used to review and he's kind of like atoning for past sins because he feels like he was and I agree with him. Like I, I used to review restaurants too, and like we just didn't quite understand the this cost structure and like shitting on a restaurant yeah. is kind of just not worth it. But I, I, you, you did the great, you did a great. Taste but it Monday. doesn't mean that you shouldn't give up on trying to find a way to yeah. constructively criticize a restaurant in an effort to help them. But you know, make sure that. I guess you're punching up versus punching down. Yeah. And it's really hard to do that if you work at the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Like you're always gonna be punching down. I agree. Um and on your in your in your Monday interview, everyone in the food world is as gossipy catty and shit talking behind closed doors as any other art form, but people rarely ever speak ill of each other in public. Mm-hmm. So are you saying with that like the fashion world is a little more like honest? Uh, in terms of like criticism, a little. I mean, a little bit, but not yeah. really. I mean, I, I've found that across all art forms, yeah. you know, fashion, music, movies, whatever, including food, that everyone, as soon as you get one martini in them, and you're sitting <laughs> at your little corner booth, and you forget that the world is around you, mm-hmm. everyone just starts talking nonstop shit on everyone, and it's mm-hmm. that's what's fun about art, you know. It's like it's cool to be like that's awesome, but it's. Mm-hmm. Way more fun to be like I hate this. Yeah, it's I hate good. this fucking guy. Yeah, I mean it's 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 almost like we're all like hating on things that we also kind of like in a way too. It's just like fun to to get in that that zone a little bit. Let's talk about your own food media like future um, mm-hmm. because I personally want to work with you and we've been like going back and forth for over a year. But I I think you like let's talk about your home cooking because I think there is something there. I'm not the first person to say this about you. Like you clearly love cooking. Like you're not mm-hmm. just like doing it to stunt. Like you actually love um, the details. You love shopping. It's like if you follow you on socials or on How Long Gone, you talk about it quite mm-hmm. a bit. Um, I want to know um, what do you like about cooking so much? Like what 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 what's the what's the enjoyment for you in it? So. I, I guess the the deeper like philosophical reasons or emotional reasons mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I've I've pondered over the years. Um, sometimes when you're anxious or depressed, um, you really I've I've found that I really need to successfully complete a task of varying difficulty in order to make me feel just to kind of kickstart myself. So if I'm down. Sometimes I'll be like, you know what, I'm going to make a a complex meal that involves technique and thought, and I will be able to take my mind off of whatever I'm anxious about or depressed about, focus it all onto this thing, make a list, figure out a game plan, go to the market, do the shopping, pick out the perfect produce, get it home, prep it all out, do that stuff first and everything, and then execute it. And if it comes out um, a winner and everyone that's eating it loves it, 
you know, it's just such a big boost and, and such a relief. And then that sort of brings me back up to the base level and then I'm able to be a normal human again. But mm. I think it's also that and, and sort of my Virgo perfectionist tendencies where when I was a kid, everyone would say like, oh, you're a Virgo, you're a perfectionist. Mm. And I'm like, well, I get like bad grades and I'm, I have no drive in life and I just like fuck around all day. So I don't know how I'm a perfectionist, but then every time I would make a sandwich, I would, it would take me 20 minutes to lay out each lettuce and, and mm. all that stuff. Are you a mayonnaise on both sides and then mustard on both sides, or do you go each other? Like, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> mayonnaise, both sides, mustard on one side. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. So extra, extra mayonnaise. Extra mayonnaise, okay. yeah. I'm um, sorry to disrupt. Uh, no, 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 it's, um, it's, a, it's a welcome aside. Um, but, yeah, yeah. So I'm re- I'm hearing self care uh, hashtag self care in like the least douchey way possible. So thank <laughs> you. No, it's cool. Like it seems like um, having that complex project uh, makes the other anxiety and stress around you feel a little less less crazy. And and then of course the the result the end um, is all like is why it's yeah, worth I mean, it. Even if it doesn't turn out that great. It's still nice to to, yeah. to do. I mean, as, if it's a disaster, then you do fall deeper down your depression and anxiety spiral. So there is a risk, a little bit of risk, <laughs> which makes it fun. Yeah. But um, but also I just I think that every person, especially nowadays, who have their cool email jobs and spend all their time. You, you know, mean they work at Mailchimp? They're like they're, no, I mean like well, they're they cool. either work for email companies or the only thing they do on their job all day is sit in front of their computer and send each other emails and slacks and all that stuff. No offense to anyone in this beautiful office that I'm in, but I, the the point I'm making is that I think that human beings also need to complete tasks successfully using their hands and their body and in their physical self. Yeah. And I think that cooking, just like woodworking or you know, just <laughs> house cleaning on the smaller scale and, you know, complex, you know, model train yeah. building or whatever it is. Like, you're you're up, upstate building a treehouse yeah. or some shit like lots that. Of, lots of houses, outhouse, treehouse, smokehouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're building house. a smoker and all that stuff. <laughs> so I think that humans get a lot of satisfaction yeah. out of completing tasks physically. Totally. And apologies to Not any— Not to be Joe Rogany. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> apologies to any uh, <laughs> any employees of Ghost out there. We, we didn't try to—we don't want to, you know— offend any email providers um whereas i do yeah jason does so i want to know about orange county um because if you listen to how long gone um it is part of your identity you obviously are from orange county i live in orange county new york not to bring (laughs) it back to me but i want to know what was food like growing up in orange county uh did you were you fast food nation were you cooking what was it like jason i want to i've always wanted to know so growing up it was pretty fast foody like my my mom and grandma they're from the east coast like virginia area mm. so cooking uh, uh growing up like the food in the house was very just like american white people like peas uh, mm. side of peas mashed potatoes meatloaf mm. kind of thing wow are you from? You grew up in the 1950s. So it has a very 1950s. Well, I was I, I was raised by my grandma as yeah, well. So a it. lot of that kind of older style yeah. cooking was going on. Um, even you know she wasn't a very good cook, but she liked to cook, and and that was inspiring. But when I was old enough to like ride a bicycle and scrounge up some change in the couch cushions, then mm-hmm. I'd go over to a restaurant called Del Taco, which is a uh, a regional chain mm-hmm. similar to Taco Bell. Yeah, um, but more of a a little bit different. Some people like it, some people don't. But that was my first foray into going to a restaurant all by myself on my BMX bike, nice. picking out something on the menu and eating it and and feeling that that satisfaction. Maybe with the screening of Rad, like before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm not that old. <laughs> okay, good. I, I have seen Rad, but I would uh, not in the theaters. Not in the theaters. Not in the okay. theaters. Um, well, VHS. <laughs> but I would. Yeah, I would go and eat, you know eat French fries with yeah. guacamole. And, Whoa, nice. Yeah. Well, so and then I would go play like Mortal Kombat at the arcade next yeah, door, or whatever. Yeah. But growing up, I was vegan and straight edge when I was yep. like 14. So. Uh, my grandma was like, I don't know what this tofu bullshit is, but <laughs> if you want to cook and eat food, I won't do it. You can do it mm. if you want to. Thank God tofu costs a dollar at the store. Um, so I had to teach myself how to cook vegan cuisine, and that was my first kind of foray into experimenting with food. Let me ask you about being a vegan in the, in the 90s and the early 2000s. Was uh, there a resource that you went to to learn how to cook vegan, like 
I mean, you're you're tapped into the music scene too, so maybe there was some like zines that had vegan recipes in. I don't know. That seems I th- weird. not really. No. I mean, there there were magazines and zines and books, mm-hmm. obviously, but I'm I've never read any. I never read any of them, and you know, there wasn't really much going on like on Food Network for vegetarian yeah. stuff. I grew up sort of on like Alton Alton Brown University yeah. on like method and technique. But it was really just going to other health food restaurants, vegan restaurants, you know, the one or two in town, and trying to mimic some dishes that they did. So I would try, I would make tofu scramble. Yeah. And I had to learn that, like, oh, you have to drain and soak the tofu and squish it out. And the more water you remove, you know, the, the more eggy it'll be. And then, oh, how, they make theirs yellow. How do they fucking make it yellow? Oh, I have to buy turmeric. What the hell is turmeric? Mm. Mom, can I have turmeric? What the, why? I don't know. That's $8. I'm not going to buy turmeric. You know, mm. like, all of that stuff. Mm. But um, my there's a seasoning called Spike. Are you yeah. familiar with that? Uh, no, I'm not familiar. What is that? Spike? It's like a very general all-purpose seasoning. Oh. But it's full... Nutritional yeasty? No, it's, it's, it's basically like if... Like Lowry's seasoning salt had like yes. twenty ingredients in it. Ooh. It's literally just every herb and spice. Mrs. Dash? Is this in it's, the mis- it's it's in the dash <laughs> it's in the dash averse. Dash man. But it, it it had my for some reason my family just loved it and I grew up having this craving for spike seasoning all the time. Yeah. Put it on popcorn and, you know, a little dash on sandwiches. Jason, that was MSG. It was like Ozzy Ashi. MSG was one player (laughs) in the symphony of flavors. You know, dills, parsley, garlic, onion, you know, the whole whole thing. It was literally like 20 different herbs and spices. When did it end then? When did plant-based universe, plant-based Jason, when did that end? Like, it had to have ended with a meal, and were there intoxicants involved? <laughs> have we talked about this before? I don't Are think Are you teeing have. me up? No, I'm teeing you up. Because so far, you're leading me straight. <laughs> you're straight to the exact story. You did a good job. Okay. But, I try, I try, I've done a few episodes, but not as many as you. No, no, no. I mean, so I got into veganism through peer pressure from all of my straight-edge <laughs> hardcore friends who were like, we're vegan now, and if you want to hang out with us... You also have to be vegan. And I was like, yes, or whatever. I don't have friends, so I will do whatever you want as long as I don't have to murder or anything. So we spent our teen years eating French fries and refried beans and chips and guacamole. And we would go to a Mexican restaurant and order mm. chips and guacamole. And that's what we would eat. And so it was an unhealthy way of living, even though we didn't have any animal. You hit some snack wells once in a while? We are actually what we had was soft batch cookies. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. They were like it was a that was a very fun game to play, <laughs> kind of pre Google, um, where you would have to literally go to a grocery store and find food products that were coincidentally vegan, <laughs> only for reasons of making it cheaper. Where it's like, oh, these cookies are so shitty that yeah. they removed all <laughs> butter and milk and replaced it with you know. Oils, hot hydrogenated seed oils yeah. or whatever. And I'm like, mm, yummy vegan. Yeah, we're there. I'm no cheating the no system. Animals were and getting fatter every year and all that stuff. So, those same friends that peer pressured me into veganism began enjoying marijuana on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and then said like, okay, we all smoke weed now. So, clock's ticking. Time for you to also start smoking weed now because the whole group has decided that we're going to do this and get down or lay down. So I got down. We smoked marijuana and went to actually Taco Bell and no. got nachos. Oh, with the beef, with the ground. no, 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 no beef. Okay, I was this- I was vegetarian. I right. I went from being uh. vegan to vegetarian for like a few years, and then I eased back. Into so that meat. sour cream gum came out. Oh sour yeah, cream gun. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it, yeah. Those yeah. things are big, man. They're like bigger than nail guns. The the guacamole and the sour cream caulking gun. Couple <laughs> clicks. I'm a happy boy. So that's where it was. It was the. Sour it was cream. a Taco Bell drive through nacho supreme, no Ooh. meat, in, uh, in Fountain Valley, California. Oh, just next door to date? Huntington Do you Beach. Do you have a date in mind? Is this like when you lost it? Yeah. No, this <laughs> this was like you know 19. This is like around the year 2000. Yeah. I, I would say. 311, were you listening to them? Uh, Amber was on the airwaves at the time. Amber was on the airwaves, mm-hmm. but you have a better taste in music, so I'm not I'm going to try It's a guilty shit. pleasure of mine. I've been to a 311 concert. My friends oh, will always clown the truth me. comes out. They'll clown me. No, I, I mean, like, literally in 2000, I wrote an article for the Badger Herald in 1998. The headline was this, 311 is not as bad as you think. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that most people can agree on. <laughs> What was the name of this publication? The Badger, the Badger Herald, University of Wisconsin Daily Publication. <laughs> Damn. 
Damn. Okay. So yeah, that was my that was my uh, three eleven. I think it was on the fridge of a friend's until like two thousand and ten. But it was a column, so literally my face was next oh, to it. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the best thing you could say about three eleven. <laughs> Not as bad as you think. It it's is. truly that. Okay, Jason. I want to ask you about uh, Italy. You've traveled there a few times, and mm, you cool. have. We're a food podcast, and <laughs> and you have a real bone to pick with. Italian, Italian cuisine. <laughs> I don't think you're as enchanted about Italian cuisine as many others, maybe. Well, I I think that I guess my uh, my my the way I look at it is Italy has the best Italian food by far. The same way Japan has the best sushi, mm. Mexico has the best Mexican food, or whatever mm. it you know any mm. of that stuff. But by and large to an average punter coming off the plane, <laughs> I can find more Italian food that I enjoy in Los Angeles than in Italy. And I know that's a thing that people will most likely disagree with. And I've been to Rome and eaten at all the restaurants mm-hmm. that everyone loves, and it is quite good and it's quite delicious. And I've, I have had the best carbonara, you know, an orgasmic rolling the back of your Riscoli, head. Riscoli, you went to Riscoli, I would imagine. No, it was Ristorante di Enzo, okay. I believe. But you have to really have the set and setting correct. It's like doing mushrooms or something like that when they tell <laughs> when Michael Pollan tells you how to do it so yeah. you don't, you know, jump off of a building. But you have to go to kind of a, a lazy late lunch. Yeah. You have to drink the house wine outdoors, a couple cigarettes. Mm-hmm. The food comes out when it comes out. And when all these things align, you eat the best pasta you've ever had in your life, and it's a simple dish with three ingredients. But if you're just cruising around Italy, I just didn't have very great luck. I I had a very low batting average of meals that I liked, and that's because I have an American Western palate. I'm from Los Angeles, and there's certain things I like and ways that I think a meal should go, and I think that a salad should start and then of this, and then of that, and in Italy, there's no salad. And, and there's no good coffee, and there's no good bread. I mean, that's the other two things about Italy. Like, the coffee Yeah, there's that, that stuff, too. And the bread is not And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a creature of habit, and yeah. I need a really good cup of strong black coffee in the morning when I wake up. Yeah. And, you know, I was drinking seven espressos <laughs> from the villa every morning, yeah. and it didn't even get, the, get my engine turned over. And, um, I mean, I don't, I don't think that the food in Italy is bad. I mean, no, obviously it's I'm quite amazing. The, pr- the produce can, like, I know that they have the best tomatoes there, but I haven't eaten one that's better <laughs> than 10. To- I yeah. can name 10 tomato experiences in Los Angeles yeah. that were better than any tomato I've I mean, had Central in Valley tomatoes are amazing in, from California. Come on. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm sure the best fig in the world is... You know, there's a drop of morning dew dripping off of it somewhere in, in the hills of Tuscana. And if you eat it when it's perfectly plump and ripe, yeah. it will change your life forever. And I've I've eaten a bunch of figs in Tuscany, and they're mm-hmm. all like, it's a pretty good fig. <laughs> and that's it. And there's nothing wrong with yeah. that. But I, I think that people, I guess my, my overarching theory is that we are very spoiled and lucky to live in L.A. and New York. Yeah. I arguably the best food cities in the world where all the greatest chefs from every country in the world, not all of them, but many of them aspire to come here. I feel like Italy has like a marketing problem with some of these restaurants. Like clearly we do it better in some ways like Italian food in New York and L.A., with the Carmelinis and the funk masters of the world doing their food. And they, like, know how to, like, like figure out... They've figured out the American palate. And in Italy, mm-hmm. like, you're eating at that small place off the piazza in, like, the Amalfi Coats, and it's, like, not enjoyable. Like, there's, like, bad right. yeah. everything. Like, the marketing of it is bad. The seating is bad. It's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's hot. And there's no yeah. fucking salad. And you want a salad. Yeah, it's, it's, it's 100 degrees. You're on the beach. You're yeah. eating, you know, a, a supermarket baguette that they sliced up into some rounds. You know, there's a nicely grilled piece of fish with really good olive oil on it. But sure. also, like, that's pretty, you know, I could do that at home, though. And it's not like the fish tastes better there than in other parts of the world. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to pile on in Italy and complain too much. But 
but also like the best one of the be most memorable moments I've had in Italy is just driving and then you have to pull over to the the petrol station and and fill up and then you know elbow your way into the espresso bar with all the old mm -hmm. all the old guys and nobody wants to talk to you nobody speaks English they actively hate you mm -hmm. for being there but you get in and you get your cup of espresso and you pick out a little panini on focaccia with some uh, mortadella and some burrata and you're like this gas station sandwich could be the most memorable yeah. bite of my entire trip in Italy and my poor life partner has made reservations months in advance at these little cross-referencing these eater mm -hmm. guides and food maps and yeah you go there and you're like it's there's just so much expectation built up and it rarely delivers I feel like Emilia Romagna is maybe the my at least my counter example because I feel like you're gonna get more of that um, roadside kind of people hating you, but you're gonna find the best sandwich. I feel like I got that when mm -hmm. I visited Emilia Romagna, so Bologna and some of the surrounding towns. Um, I don't know. That was my experience. No, it, it I'm, I'm, I, that's one of my favorite parts about Italy is yeah. everyone looking at me like this <laughs> fucking piece of shit. Like that's that's fun and exciting. I'm into it. Okay, so Erewhon, let's talk about it. We, uh, we've interviewed the, the, the head buyer of Erewhon, and I'll link to that in the show notes. It's a great, great piece. Uh, Erewhon Very is cool. a topic on how long gone, and, and it's <laughs> great. I think you, you've really committed to that, to that bit. Um, it's not really a bit. I want to know why is Erewhon such a fascination and an <laughs> enigma? Like why, why think about it so much? Because I, I agree that it's a really great story. Well, I, I think it's a, it's a market that prioritizes a feeling when you walk in there and yeah. I think that a lot of people respond well to that the average supermarket you know here you know you go into a key foods or a Ralph's in LA with Mark Marin and I or whatever like <laughs> it's just like here's a big building and a bunch of food is in it and the the canned beans are going to be next to the canned peas and the carrots yeah. are going to be next to the apple you know that's about it but when you go to a place like uh Gelson's for example yeah. There's like all the same food that you would get at a normal supermarket, a Kroger or whatever, but you feel a little different the same way that when you watch Barefoot Contessa, you feel a little bit different even though she's making the same food that everyone else is making. And it's like a spirit and an attitude where the overarching point, unfortunately, is I'm paying more money for the same shit because mm -hmm. there will be less poor people in my immediate area and more mm. hot, rich, attractive people mm. will be here and that and that's it. And you can be a hot, rich asshole and go there every day and do your shopping there and buy your toilet paper from Erewhon or you can be just a regular person like me who's not one of those people mm -hmm. and you can sort of live this fantasy of what it might feel like to be Haley Bieber mm. Having, oh yeah, she had a smoothie, right? At Irwan, she had, she had a Harry's Berries, oh yeah, Harry's collab smoothie, or whatever. <laughs> but like, so you get to sort of go there, and there's and their locations only exist in wealthy areas of, yeah. of town, obviously. And there's another place called Bristol Farms in LA that's sort yeah. of known for that same thing. But it's just it exudes this '90s grandma, like housewife kind of energy where. It's a world that doesn't exist anymore, and you just go here, and everything is all good. Yeah. The, the produce is in abundance. It, nothing is ever not on the shelf. There's just so much of everything. It's like pre-Amazon Whole Foods, maybe even like pre-Amazon, -pre like 10 yeah. years before that, that merger. You, you get the feeling that the bakery just makes so much stuff every morning, yeah. and one person buys two things, and they throw it all away, yeah, and man. it's like this is a time that we yearn for. <laughs> for some sadistic reason or whatever. I have to say, I once bought uh, $38 worth of citrus in, at Gelson's. <laughs> I literally went to a Gelson's in January. I was staying at Airbnb, beer, Airbnb nearby. <laughs> 38 bucks. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a fool's errand. It's a fool's errand. Um, do you ever run into Marin at, uh, at Ralph's? He's, I ask because Marin like, does these crazy live streams and will like, we'll, like, live stream from Ralph's. And I once, he once like <laughs> stole... Um, a melon um, from uh, Ralph's Did he really? on air, and then he returned it. It was a watermelon. Stole the water. Oh yeah, because they'll put him in the right <laughs> in the parking lot before you walk in. They'll have a display. It's yeah. pretty easy to grab one. But yeah. no, Mark lives in the same neighborhood as yeah. I, 
Um, and uh, the Ralph's that he goes to is one that I go to all the time. The produce at that Ralph's location is 10 times better than any Whole Foods. They have no. the best produce selection in all of Glendale. Wow. All Secret the herbs Ralph's. and spices, or the, the herbs and leaves and greens, there's a great organic section. That it's all wet all the time. Love that. I love having that, like, shaking off the wet and putting yeah. it in the bag. Yeah, it's nice. Oh, and all it takes is one person who manages the produce section to care and give a shit, mm-hmm. and suddenly it's amazing. But, and, uh, you know, post-Amazon, yeah. Whole Foods is obviously, you know, it's just like a military base at this point where <laughs> they just drop a box full of fucking shit and yeah. have at it. But Rough. Um, I have run into Mark Marin Sick, really? uh, nice. many times, and he has every time he looks at me like how an Italian guy looks at me. <laughs> I have never breached a conversation with him. I've never had an in where I was like, "Oh, hey, we're actually both podcasters." Yeah. Like he always looks up, takes one look at me, and has this sour puss on his face, yeah. just like, Ugh. so that guy. <laughs> And I'll see him at restaurant, you know, like we I was eating at John and Vinny's one time and he walked past like on a date with a with a hot little chica. Oh yeah. And I was like, Oh yeah, man, what's up? Mary. And he looked at me and he's like, Ugh. <laughs> like every time. But I'm sure at some point I mean, we troll him all the time you and do. talk about him on the podcast in hopes that he'll be like, all right, you fucking guys, what are you guys doing over here? Like, Doubt totally. You gotta you So gotta one day I would love to have him come on the podcast and just see how much of a <laughs> you know, just a, a, a dumpster fire of an episode that would it be. It would absolutely go off the rails within like 60 seconds. Oh, yeah. I, there's no doubt. I, I hope that happens. Um, natural wine. Mm. <laughs> Hashtag natty wine. Yeah, I brought a bottle of it here. You did. I love that. It, <laughs> it tastes it's, like Gatorade orange. Orange Gatorade. Um, okay. So you know, you know some stuff about wine, but like, does it frustrate you? Or does it just, like, not give you any emotion, natural wine? It only frustrates me when I see bottles of wine that have these labels on them that clearly let you know that this is a a cash grab, that we're trying to ride this wave of the natural wine trend where you have this adorable, cutesy label and, you know, your aunt is going to be like, oh, this is fun and it's (laughs) fruity and, you know, like that kind of stuff I I don't like. I think that amazing natural wines exist, obviously, and if you find them, they're really cool and really special. But with any type of food trend, you have to really weed out what it's going to be. And I learned, um, I went to Raw Wine a, a few years ago. The, the the festival the tasting yeah you like know. you go there and if you're a regular person you you pay like fifty or a hundred bucks or whatever and you get a glass and you just walk around this huge convention hall and just drink wine from amazing winemakers all over the world it's a great place to get blacked out at like three p.m. yeah right on a Sunday but um, I learned or I sort of deduced a, a theory that the the worse the label is in a very specific way, the better the wine is going to be. Huh. So oftentimes if you see just like some old gray haired guy who makes meads in Maine or whatever. In like a Times New Roman font. A, well, a Times New Roman font, but most specifically a Comic Sans. Oh God, I was gonna. <laughs> and it, and if you get if you get the energy that it was like designed himself on his yeah. like Windows ninety eight PC, yeah. and he types it with one finger, and he's like, well, <laughs> it looks good to me. I add a little yeah. clip art at the top. There's a certain energy that a wine label has, like if it looks so bad in a such a specific way, I know that that winemaker has spent zero time mm. caring about the aesthetics of the bottle and has devoted all their energy into making the a delicious bottle of wine. And that same theory often works in the reverse, where if I see a bottle of wine that is so designed and so just the layout of it is so adorable and perfect and quaint and all this shit, I know that I'm gonna be angered by the flavor of the wine. <laughs> now, I won't. I won't dislike it. I will angrily drink it and be like, Ugh, uh, I knew God. this tasted stupid. Yeah, Ernest Bad Design is a great um, tell for um, incredible natural wine. I'm, yeah, I, I so so. Yeah, blatant. look look for Comic Sans. Look for no pictures and some some clip art that you would find on your Macintosh growing up as a child. <laughs> How long gone has had some great food guests: uh, Bill Addison, Allison Roman, myself. <laughs> just show, throwing it in there. Yeah, yeah. But what makes a great food conversation? You don't have a lot of food people on the show. I think Chris, your co-host, is 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 not down uh, mm-hmm. so much with food. But um, 
Let yeah, me he has it. a lot to say about restaurants and the energy it's true. of them, but yeah, not the food part. It's true. Let's give Chris some credit. He he mm. definitely knows uh, and has, has opinions about restaurant culture. How room is, feels. How room feels and, and all that. I think it's, it, it, I don't want to undersell Chris's mm. knowledge of restaurants, but you are the food focused and you probably book a lot of those guests. What makes a great food guest and, and what are, have I forgotten any other memorable food guests on the show? You should go we back. We actually, and I think we have Claire Sap. Is it Saffitz? Is it Claire or Carla Lolly music? Two different people. They are two different cool. people. <laughs> they often no, no. Next week we have Carla Lolly music. Oh, on the Carla's pod. great. Nice. I, was, I think you just had Claire yeah. on this week. That's yeah. What I was we uh, we recorded this week and we'll we'll be running that. Oh, we, we ran it. This Those week, two yeah. wonderful chefs are not interchangeable. <laughs> don't get don't get it twisted. D- definitely not. But yeah, next week we have we have um, Carla Lolly music, which is a name that I still can't get used to saying out loud. It's, oh yeah. The lolly is a great, I think it's great. Carla lolly music. I have like a weird thing with the way words yeah. kind of weave in and out of each other. It's like an auto route, like you're driving on it. Yeah. And it, it, uh, I don't, I don't dislike it. I don't dislike it, but it, no. it's, it, my brain flags it as like, this is, these are not words. You should ask her about that. I'm sure she'll be. All about. I'm sure she's never been asked about her name <laughs> being, <laughs> having your last name be music. <laughs> To me, a good uh, a good food conversation is are literally just people who are open and down to talk about things, cool, and are not just like, yeah, he's a great person, or like she's awesome, no, nothing bad no. to say about. Like, I want people to have strong opinions. If we agree, amazing. If we disagree, I'll learn something from you. You'll learn something mm-hmm. from me. Maybe, who knows? But um, people who are finding challenging interesting ways to convey their opinions or criticisms about someone or something they haven't given up on trying to speak their opinions and they're they're actively still trying to be like well here's a here's a potentially a creative way to to criticize or talk about something or share my opinion about something that might hurt someone's feelings mm-hmm. perhaps but i still want to try yeah people it's- who haven't given up and they're not doing just the media train responses and like oh that's so awesome yeah my new book comes out yeah you guys really reject that for your show and why why people and and myself love that show love hollow and gone it's it's you really reject talking points literally you don't have them (laughs) yeah i mean i I, i'm reminded of the of the ethos of why that doesn't happen at the end of uh, a lot of our episodes where it's kind of like the the standard podcast thing to do at the end of a show is like all right well where can people find you online <laughs> and some people are like well you can follow me on Instagram at them jeans and here's my way. And, and some people yeah. are like Google my name that's yeah. what everyone does you know so it's sort of like that's the best yeah if you want to find my book like you my my dead grandma can type in those words and find it in one millisecond mm-hmm. who do you want on the show food wise who are, who's on the list do you have like a doc with some with some guests I mean. Carly Lala music. Maybe yeah, yeah. I got her. I would say um, it would be cool to have Evan Funky on only because we yeah. have we have spoken about him and his restaurant so much, and he is such a tough nut to crack. He has a very hard exterior, mm-hmm. and he always looks like he's about to fight me. Yeah, or most people, but I know that he's a, a sweet teddy bear on the mm-hmm. inside. He hasn't revealed those insides to me just quite yet, and it's okay if he never does, but. I think that would be interesting. I think it's funny, or a way that we like to attract guests is sort of not with honey, but with a bee sting of like, hey, yeah. here's, <laughs> here we're talking about you over here. Sounds you, like you've put, you've like pitched people with this strategy. <laughs> and do you want to come prove us wrong? <laughs> I love that. And uh, we respect you enough to welcome you onto the show. And if you prove us wrong, then you get something even better out of it than just like, yeah. hey, we think you suck, and he comes on the show, <laughs> and he sucks, and you're like, see, we were right. And it's <laughs> like, well, okay, I guess we're just beating a dead horse. But if someone's like, actually, I don't suck, and here's all the reasons why, yeah. and and we're one over, then that's like, that's great content. Yeah, it's great content. Absolutely, the end user, their listener will, will definitely, it might be a little awkward in the moment, but whatever, it's fine. Yeah, um, and then otherwise, you know, I think Wolfgang Puck. Yeah, the wolf. He just like watching him on food interviews and and food television and whenever there's like a segment where like him and a couple other chefs are making something. He's been doing it for so long that he talks and cooks circles around everyone I've ever seen, you know, compared to him. 
And it's just it's just amazing to watch like a master at work who's just on his stride and just like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I've been fucking yeah. making like caviar f- at the Oscars since the <laughs> 70s, bro. Like right. I'm so beyond everyone. I mean, and I don't even like his food. I went to Spago a year ago. It fucking sucked. But like, yeah. he is just well. Sherry Yard isn't there anymore. Like the pastries used to be so ill, but now Sherry's I'm not obviously there. at a, a certain point. It yeah. was it oh. was during COVID. Yeah, it's now it's next door to Salt Bay's restaurant. Oh sweet, you know? the one here is empty. I don't know about the one in L.A. Oh yeah, of course it's empty. I mean, what is going on? There's like no one money laundering, in. baby. Okay, yeah, I agree. Albanian mafia. I mean something. So let me ask you, I feel like Brooks Headley, Fancy Desserts is such an incredible book. You mentioned it in your Taste Monday interview. Yeah. Um, he should get on your show. I'm just like, I'm trying to like Yeah, maybe this. Brooks. I feel Brooks would be great. No, it's actually a good idea. Brooks, he's because, trying. Yeah, Chris loves Superiority Burger too. It's like his favorite restaurant. And they're opening at the old Odessa location on Avenue A. Um, he's, he, he seems like a little bit of a Scrooge to me though as well. I could be wrong. He's been on our show. I... I I love I love Brooks. He he also brought us the most incredible focaccia. I know you don't do in person interviews, but he brought us like oh yeah when he was doing a his box fo- of focaccia. Yeah, I read that order. There, he, there's like a New York Times story about his focaccia or, or some some taste. kind of story. We oh. did a story. Yeah, oh, it's taste. Yeah, taste. There you go. Really cool image. What's the web? What's the URL? Tastecooking.com, baby. Let's go. All right, I'll add it to my bookmarks. Yeah, but please. yeah, I remember seeing that and I was really but. The, yeah, I I love that book. I I I have a lot of cookbooks that I never read or cook out of. Yeah. And and somebody gave me Brooks's book, Fancy Desserts, for Christmas whenever it came yeah. out. And then, like, two other people gave it to me randomly. So I have, like, I, I ended up having multiple copies of this. And I've, I've never bought cookbooks. I've only just received them as gifts. And I oh. have a bunch of them. You're, you're absolutely in our target demo then. <laughs> Working at a book publisher, someone well, who never I'm, buys cookbooks. I'm here. I don't buy them, but I sell them. You s- I help sell them. <laughs> you sell them on eBay or Amazon? No, no, no. I mean, I don't sell oh, my I'm own sorry. copies. I mean, I sell other people's you books do. for them through my my uh, small-time media platform. And guess what? Carla Lally Music publishes here. Bingo. Shouts. We keep uh, it all in the family, but... I love it. I love that book, Fancy Desserts, because it's... it's good. I've never... I've tried to make, like, three desserts out of it, I think I said on the interview, but, yeah. like, I failed miserably, like, couldn't, couldn't yeah. execute any of it. But just the stories, the photos, his philosophy... Mm-hmm. It was just a fun read, and I remember re- I read it on, like, Christmas morning, hmm. just like, oh, this is just a cool—I didn't know cookbooks could be like this. Do you have any other in the stack that you maybe have uh, turned to in the past couple months, the cookbook stack? Any other cookbooks? Um, I, the only cookbook I open is the Flavor Bible. Oh, wow. Those guys are cool. Like, those guys are very um, interesting. Like that They're kind of swimming in their own lane, aren't they? I I've, like it. They're, like, based in Jersey. I, I've I've interacted with them on socials. I'd love to, love to interview them on the show. Um, yeah, because to me, that uh, actually a, a friend of mine a long time ago who's, like, a cocktail mm-hmm. mixologist person was like, oh, every mixologist uses this book. And I'm like, can I use it too? And it's just an encyclopedia of flavors that go well together. So you just look up, like, here's chamomile tea or whatever and yeah. it's like here's the 10 things that really pair with it and here's the 10 things that kind of pair with it and here's a couple of recipe ideas and it's just it's just jumping off points it's really and you are as we mentioned um a really uh, passionate home cook um and it makes sense for like, your dinner parties mm-hmm. are we gonna write this column is this gonna happen uh am i gonna write columns or, write, or just articles, you know, we can call whatever yeah. for taste. I mean, I, I definitely truly want to. We've talked about some ideas. I think what I have to do, I mean, it's hard because, like, as I'm, I'm sort of, like, trying to shed the skin of, like, a career lazy person <laughs> because I grew up just being a lazy ass, not doing shit, and then I became a professional DJ yeah. where you get paid a, a decent Living, yeah, working like four hours, like twenty five k, like at, at the music hall Williamsburg <laughs> in two thousand eight. Uh, I was not making twenty five thousand dollars an hour, okay. but it was actually thirty five minutes because like they oh. he stopped early because it was God empty. Damn it! Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it it was like it allowed me to have a lot of spare yeah. time and and be yeah. kind of lazy, and so I didn't really ever have that drive. You know, I didn't go to college or anything like that. So I feel like now that I'm mm-hmm. like forty, I'm like finally breaking shedding that lazy skin and trying to learn and and me doing this podcast three episodes a week and editing it and Mm -hmm. producing it making the artwork and we're doing the shows and i do full-time job we we do it all ourselves so it's a full-time job and that's helped show me like oh you can actually do all this work and get it done and then i was like oh well i have to learn how to do that 
and have a relationship with my fiance and mm. maintain friendships with people and have a healthy physical life and yeah. like learning how to juggle all those things has been I've been slow to the, to that game so now once I feel like I've truly mastered one thing, then I can begin trying to add another thing on, which is writing and stuff. It's but kind of you to 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 reject my offer. <laughs> I'm not rege- I'm not no. rejecting it. I'm just saying that. No, I'm kidding. You I are really working get, hard. I need to get better and better at Dude. doing my little thingies. And I know. You know, it's it's also hard because I do I like to do everything myself, and I have a hard time delegating work and. Uh, that allows me to have not as much free time mm. as other people because I really care about the product of work mm-hmm. that's going out, and I want to have my stamp on every little thing. And editing and doing the outros. I mean, it's a lot of work to do three a week. It's it's a great. And again, how long gone? You got to check it out. We're gonna put it on the in the show notes. Um, is there a TV show in your future? I feel like there has to be. You and Chris TV. Well, I was just. I mean, people talk about it a lot. I would love. I would love to do something like that. But you know, I was having a conversation yesterday with my friend David Cho. Oh, I had lunch with him recently. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, David Cho. Um, him and, and Andy Bargani. Yeah. And and David Cho does like the video production stuff yeah. for Allison Roman, and he's a really really smart guy to learn how he like he just knows the internet very well. Mm-hmm. And a, a thing that I've seen is just like TV show is not always the best path, and it's totally and it's definitely it was the best path and the and the only path at a certain time is that's how you make truly amazing insane money and everyone can see it, but. You know, I, I really don't know if TV show is, uh, you know, in the traditional sense, is is even going to be cool or exist anymore in 10 years. It's just going to be, like, stuff that your parents watch on CNN or something, but... So you're going to do a TikTok channel. I fucking hate TikTok. I'm never yep. going to have a TikTok, I mean, unless somebody pays me <laughs> literally any money to do it. But, um, <laughs> no, I think that there are f- there's fun, exciting ways to do it, and, yeah. and YouTube... You know, YouTube is just, I think YouTube will, will destroy TikTok at, oh, at a certain yeah. point once AI technology takes over <laughs> and all that stuff and et cetera, et cetera. But I think it would be really great to have, you know, a Bourdain-style show, but I don't need to have any of the travel stuff. I don't need to have any of the antics where we're going to go drive an ATV or mm. we're going to go camping in the, you know. A just, sidekick? You don't want to have a sidekick? Uh, I'm I'm okay with the sidekick, but yeah. I, I would rather have more of a diners, drive-ins, and dives yeah. style show than than a travel thing because the travel thing is just it's just a bunch of fluff and an unnecessary bullshit. Agree. Unless you're into travel, which clearly I don't seem to be, but I like the personality and the exchange between Guy Fieri and these restaurateurs, and you're talking about food, not about like deep philosophy yeah. and like the energy of Cambodia or whatever it is yeah. like there's just, a time and place for those shows and, and we yeah. love them and documentary filmmaking you're a fan of it I'm a fan of it but I think I love that you're saying like maybe support local restaurants maybe enjoy, you're very knowledgeable about food and maybe use some of that knowledge and more of like a like a one-on-one basis versus like more context I I think that's cool I hope you do it I'm just yeah. saying I'm trying to like just actualize this into the putting it in the ether because I think you'd be great yeah. to see you in other whoever's formats. listening and has the power to do yeah. it Let's uh, let's let's get that shot and produced and greenlit. It'd be please. cool, Jason. We asked all guests in the Taste Podcast if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline, or the burden of budget, meaning you have all the money in the world. What would that book be? <laughs> um, I think I think it would really be it would be like maybe a dozen or so thoughts and philosophies on food. Cool. And then have, you know, maybe you could call them chapters. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe that's the packaging. But, you know, like an idea or a a question that has been debated in the food world for a long time to where that it's just in there forever, like um, In-N-Out versus Shake Shack, for example, is just like a debate that will go on till the end of time. There's no right answer and everyone has a thought on it. I would like to try to find a way to find an actual answer scientifically somehow i don't know how that would be using technology that doesn't exist yet but just like i've found out scientifically what is mm. better in and out or shake shock or whatever these big food questions are and then have that chapter sort of culminate in some type of recipe who knows what it could be i just think like i mean i'll just say just having a strong opinion and a point of view and actually backing it up is 
kind of enough. I don't know. I, I love your takes on stuff. I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Yeah, I, th- I think that, you know, I one thing that I used to hate, or I still do hate, is, like, I used to think that, like, here's my idea. It's the best idea, clearly. So yeah. you should listen to me and agree. And then when I started kind of consulting with brands and doing some agency work, they're mm. like, oh, well, like, there's a word called strategy. And I was like, <laughs> I don't like strategy. Yeah. Like, you have to show your work. Yeah. Show me why this is the best yeah. idea. And I'm starting to embrace that a little bit more. But uh, that as I've gotten older, I've learned that, like, people... If you say, like, this is an amazing idea, they're like, yeah, it's a good idea, but, like, will it work? Where's the proof? Where's the work? I agree. And it's it's a, it's a very kind of left brain, right brain. Like, yeah. I smoke weed, and I come up with this idea, mm-hmm. and then the next day when I'm sober, go back and run it through some tests, yeah. experiment it, see if this thing works. And if it doesn't work, fire up that doobie again, yeah. and tomorrow's another day. If it, if it does work, and you can prove it with strategy and and all that amazing stuff, then people will be like, damn, well done. Yeah. Where are you, done? Where are you eating the rest of your trip in New York? Two places. Um, I'm going to go to dinner at Corner Bar tonight. Nice. For some $8,500 shrimp cocktail oh, yeah. or something. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be 66 <laughs> For a $66 <laughs> shrimp cocktail. Yeah. Uh, and I went to a restaurant called Ulu last mm. night with Jeremiah from Wild Air and, oh, and show? David Show. Um, yeah, have you been there before? No, I haven't been to Ulu, but I like Jeremiah a lot. It's a it's like a Chinese restaurant yeah. that that kind of walks the line between traditional Chinese Szechuan leaning cooking and then cool. like gentrified hipster bullshit in a way that's not annoying. So, in terms of comparison between the Taste Podcast and Celebrity Book Club, what are we looking at right now? Uh, I think that I I probably had more fun doing this because <laughs> fair enough. On this show, it's all about moi. Yeah. And on that show, there's there's multiple guests. I mean, multiple hosts, and yeah. they're very strong personalities. So yeah. I kind of just sat back in the. Cut. They talk over you, yeah. But also, they gave me alcohol, so oh. maybe we're maybe it's even. I gave you push button coffee. You gave me push button coffee. Yes. Okay, Jason Stewart. Thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. My pleasure, Matt. Thanks for having me. The Taste Podcast is hosted by me, Matt Rodbard. It's produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumber. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.